Hey guys, it's Michelle, Leah, and Brandy, and this is Spooky Shit and Tales from the Beyond. This week we're going to be talking about male serial killers. Uh, we did a female one, if you guys want to like go back and listen. We'll probably do an any gender one eventually. But anyway, Leah is going to be starting it off. I'm going to be starting it off talking about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. And then I'm going to be talking about Israel Keys. And then I'm going to talk about Harvey Miguel Robinson. So I'm going to be talking about the serial killer Richard Ramirez. If you're interested in true crime like we are, I'm pretty sure you already know who this piece of shit is. <laughs> um, but if you're not, let me inform you. Um, before I get into the nitty gritty details about his killing spree, I'm going to be talking about his childhood. While having a bad childhood is not an excusable reason to become a murderer, specifically a <laughs> serial killer, it does give a lot of insight into what shaped Richard into the monster he is known as today. Okay. So, Richard was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29, 1960. And this kind of like, I don't know, popped in my head, I didn't write it down, but he was born on Leap Day, and it kind of like made me feel like maybe he was never meant to be born, because Leap Day comes every four years. Ooh, That's savage. really deep thought. <laughs> well, I just, I just think he's a terrible person after learning about him. He was the youngest of five children to a couple named Mercedes and Julian. His father was a former police officer in Juarez, Mexico, who decided to relocate his family to the U.S. after getting a job to work on the Santa Fe Railroad. This all occurred, of course, before their youngest son, Richard, was born. His father, although extremely hardworking and dedicated, was known to be hot-headed and physically abusive. It's the typical Mexican machismo, which Brandy probably already know about, mm -hmm. um, which is, quote, a man's responsibility to provide for, protect, and defend his family, a strong or exaggerated sense of power or the right to dominate, which kind of sums it up pretty well. So his father felt it was his duty to provide for his family by working really hard, but also to exert control over them, and in this case, in the form of physical abuse on both his wife and all of his children. Sounds like every dude in the 1960s. <laughs> so, when he was two years old, Richard was almost killed when a dresser fell on top of him. Which also is, like, terrifying to think about, like, a two-year-old. Like, we have a small niece, and just to think of that almost happening, like, them being crushed. Um, like, he is not messing around with I know. safety things that I never use. Mm -hmm. So, this left him unconscious with a huge gash on his head, just as a little wee little two-year-old. Then again, at the age of five, he was knocked unconscious after his sister slammed into him while she was on the swing set. So she was like swinging hella hard, just like bam, plowed into him. Maybe you like, bam, plowed. <laughs> now, if you're wondering why these two seemingly innocent events have any significance, let me tell you. Head injuries are on the list for childhood warning signs of a serial killer. What? That's kind of funny because you can't help head injuries. Yeah, well... <laughs> A study found that the majority of notorious serial killers had suffered celery killers. Celery killers. <laughs> serial killers had suffered head injuries in childhood, like That's a ton weird. of them, like Ted Bundy. Um, I think it said, "What was Owner just talking about?" Uh, Edmund Kemper. Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. Yeah, him as well. A lot of them. A lot of well-known ones. So Elaine Whitfield Sharp, defense attorney and expert in head trauma cases, said that these early injuries are connected to a lack of empathy in later life. She explained, it doesn't matter whether the frontal lobe damage is psychiatric or traumatic. The result is the same. Gross lack of empathy. That's weird. Mm -hmm. It, like, causes you to lose a part of your or a part of your brain that doesn't develop for you to have empathy for others. So, everyone, keep an eye out for children in your lives. Make sure they don't get any head injuries. Otherwise, they'll be Ted Bundy. There is... <laughs> 
So, since I talked about one sign, I figured I may as well give you guys the other nine signs, since you're probably curious. Like, it's not, yeah, so there's nine other signs. It's not just that if they have a head injury, they're going to become a serial killer. That's just, like, one of the... That's what you just said. The con... No. It was one of the nine. Yeah. Or the ten. I'm not saying, like, even if you have all these things, that doesn't mean they're going to be a serial killer. It just makes it... There's it's just a common pattern. According no. to the research, it's there just, has been this pattern. It's just been a pattern of who and is more... 99% of kids who did this <laughs> are murderers. Okay, so the nine signs we have bedwetting, arson, which is setting fires, harming small animals, torturing them, which is one we've all heard about, I'm sure, extreme, extreme aggression, witnessing extreme violence, family history of psychiatric disorders voyeurism and promiscuity which is pretty much like if you're a little kid and you're a peeping tom looking at people through their windows or if you're watching porn at a really young age callous and manipulative that means like you're having no regard or care for others like you're just completely unattached and unemotional and lastly having fantasies which is pretty much you're playing the little kids would be playing in their head on repeat to escape their current situations and it's actually common that a lot of serial killers um, say that they fin- they fantasize as a child or, you know, adolescence repeatedly about their first kill long before it ever occurred. Yikes. Terrifying. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, if you have one of these things or your child has one of these things, fear not. I was extremely aggressive as a child. So, and There's look at me. I'm not, a, I'm not a murderer. I pointed at you whenever you were talking and you didn't notice. Well, I'm just saying... <laughs> Just because you have a lot of these signs doesn't mean you're going to become a serial killer. But is that something that a serial killer would say to throw off the scent? I mean, it's been repeated serial killers. I don't know. I think it's more so they were they were trying to get some background on the serial killer in their childhood growing up so they could recognize patterns that might make you more likely to no. become a murderer. What I'm trying to say is you saying I'm not a serial killer kind of sounds like <laughs> something that a serial killer would say. <laughs> I'm not racist. Okay. Yeah. Well... You just got to take my word on that. I'm not gay. I'm not. <laughs> so, at the age of 12, Richard would begin to spend a lot of time with his older cousin, Miguel. Miguel was a combat veteran in Vietnam and was also, just like Richard, a huge piece of shit. I was going to say, sounds like a great influence for like a 12 Terrible! Um, so, this is, so, they would smoke marijuana together, which is pretty harmless. And Miguel would, this is the harmful part, Miguel would brag about killing Vietnamese soldiers during the war to his younger cousin. But even worse, he confessed that he had raped and mutilated several women while overseas. Oh, okay. It gets even worse. He even showed Richard Polaroid images of him posing next to his victims post-mortem. And if you guys want to know something really- He killed them too, like the women? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, even worse, there was one where he had, um, skip this part if you don't want anything too graphic um there was one where he had decapitated one of the women and he showed richard a polaroid of him posing next to it Jeez. like so he was also a serial terrible killer. terrible yeah runs in the family i guess jesus so the following year miguel got into a heated argument with his wife that ended with him shooting her right in the face killing her immediately oh my god and this was all while richard watched from across the room so he witnessed it all and yes, um, Miguel was arrested and put in prison right away, but ended up only receiving four years by reason of insanity. Oh. Yeah. Which... Did he have to go to a psychiatric hospital after that? I think or? he went to a psychiatric okay. hospital. So later that year, he would move in... So later that year, Richard would move in with his older sister and her husband, Roberto, who, as you guessed, was also a piece of shit. Oh, God. You see, 
Roberto was an obsessive peeping Tom and wasted no time in inviting Richard along for his adventures. Creepy. Mm-hmm. Together, they would go to all the attractive women in the neighborhood's houses and quietly lurk outside their windows, hoping to catch a glimpse of something scandalous. See, this is why I close my windows at all Exactly. Times. So, as you might have picked up by now, his family was problematic as fuck. So, he kind of grew up with, you know, no good influences. And it kind of makes you wonder, what if Richard had been born into a different family? Would he still be destined to become a serial killer, or had all these traumas cultivated ones? That's just a little food for thought. Something to think about as I keep talking. Regardless, I'm, I'm not saying anything he did was okay. He's literally, like, evil as fuck. But not defending, just saying, I wonder if this contributed to it. Yeah. Around the same time, he began to experiment with LSD and developed an interest in Satanism, which would further blossom into a full-blown obsession later in his life. And I was watching some interviews of Richard Ramirez from prison, and he was saying that um, his multiple LSD trips kind of are what got him into Satanism. So we talked about cover reps a few weeks ago, if you guys listened to that episode, and I talked about MK Ultra, and I mentioned that like LSD, it can change a person. It, not always, but it can change a person for the good or the bad. So maybe in this sense, LSD did have an effect on him. I heard that everyone who does LSD ends up being a serial killer. Is that true? They either become a serial killer or they become woke as fuck. Right? Oh. <laughs> a little bit both. Yeah. So, as an older teen, Richard became increasingly obsessed with violent sexual fantasies. He began working for a Holiday Inn where he would use his employee passcode to rob sleeping guests or guests Whoa. who had exited their rooms. Which is terrifying to think about if you're at a hotel and a psychopath like Richard works there and they just have a passcode to get into your room. That's why I always do, like, the extra lock on top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, as expected, this escalated something much more sinister. He was like a... The ticking time bomb. We are listening to our serial killer episode Indeed, after all. It obviously gets worse. So Richard used his passcode to enter a room where he found a sleeping woman all alone. Uh, he attempted to rape her, but luckily was stopped when her husband walked right in. Oh he grabbed God. Richard and literally like beat him to a pulp, like caked his ass. Good. Hell yeah. Right? <laughs> Standing ovation. So after the ass kicking, the husband called the police who arrested Richard. Unfortunately, the attempted rape charges would eventually be dropped. Um, you see, the couple was from out of state, and they didn't want to drive back to uh, testify. They didn't want to go through the hassle of having to commute every single time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it was dropped, and obviously Richard got fired from that job. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> then, only midway through the ninth grade, he decides to drop out of school. Between this... Wait, was the holiday in when he was still a teenager? I think it was very honest. after. So... I think it was maybe when he was in the ninth grade. It doesn't say exactly. Okay, I was gonna say, was that like a little side note from the future, or no. is this still no timeline? So that was still when he was in. Te- um, that was still when he was in. He uh, was underage. Well, I think at the time well, you could probably have a job when you were I, like, I know. Like fourteen or something. I'm just saying he started being violent underage then. Oh fuck yeah! I mean, no. think about all this shit he saw before he was even thirteen. Big true. Yes, he saw someone get shot in the face. Okay, so. Only midway through the ninth grade, he decided to drop out of school. Between this time, so I'm assuming he was around like the age of 14, 15, and then the age of 22, it's unclear exactly what Richard was up to. We don't really know his whereabouts, but we can only assume he wasn't doing anything too promising. <laughs> Probably like using LSD and worshiping Satan, the huge. Trying to rape people. Yeah. I know, it makes you wonder. He must have, like, what if he had had a victim in this time? I'm sure he did. Or think of every story you hear about, like... Unsolved cases? Yeah. Or I was gonna say about, like, um, like, 
rapists who were found out later on. That's just, like, how many people, like, reported that they were raped. Yeah. And a lot of people do not report it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, maybe they didn't have, like, murder victims. He had at least, like, rape victims. I'm, I'm sure. sure he had some. Mm-hmm. And people he had robbed, I bet. Yeah. So, at 22 years old, he moved from Texas to San Francisco, California. At 22 years old, he moved from Texas to San Francisco, California. His first known murder was just two years later when he was only 24 years old. So that's literally, like, the same age as Michelle. He began killing people. Yikes. He brutally murdered a nine-year-old girl in the basement of the hotel he was living in. Ugh. This murder actually wasn't linked to him until 2009, so way after he was convicted, when DNA testing positively matched him to the case. What year did he do this again? Like, in 80... He was born in 60. Oh, I think it's 1984. So he... Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He only went really on, like, a two-year killing spree, but he got a lot of victims. Really? I didn't know it was mm-hmm. that little. Yeah. Wow. So, actually, during just a 16-month period, it was confirmed that Richard killed 13 victims, but tortured or assaulted, and also, I mean, raped. I mean, not all of them are rape, um, rape victims, but it's either tortured, assaulted, or raped 25 victims total. Fuck. A few of these murders are rumored to have occurred when Richard was staying at the Hotel Cecil. which if you guys remember is the haunted hotel i talked about in our 12th episode hotels and a blue ball cowboy i didn't i didn't make up the name that's all michelle she comes up with the titles yeah that one's pretty interesting if you guys want to hear about the hotel cecil you also talked about hotel cecil on our other one our mysterious deaths i talk about i'm gonna talk about the black dahlia right Oh, you talk about in the Black Dahlia, um, and you talk about with Elisa Lamb. Yeah. Mia has mentioned Cecil Hotel in four episodes. Now. Yeah, that's just like it's a, a big deal. Are you obsessed? Well, there's a lot of <laughs> shit that happens there. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so I can't even plug all the episode names because it's like four episodes. I, I don't know. remember all the names. <laughs> just listen. Just I guess listen to the episode. Yeah. episode. Yeah. You gotta have a list. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna start doing that whenever I reference old episodes. I'm starting like parentheses. This is the name of the episode. Yeah, good idea. So, along with being a serial killer, he was also a serial rapist. Just so it isn't too overwhelming, and also to make sure that Michelle and Brittany have time to talk, I'm obviously only going to be talking about a couple of his victims, not all 13. That's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and I do want to emphasize my condolences to every single one of Richard's victims and their families. This should have never happened. Richard fucking never should have been born. He fucking sucks. So, rest in peace. Just a little tribute there. You meant Richard. I was like, what? <laughs> no, I said Richard never <laughs> should. Next week. Oh, Richard never should have been born, dude. So after his first murder in San Francisco, he decides to move down south to Los Angeles County, and this is where he begins his killing spree to the fullest extent and gets dubbed the Night Stalker. This is before the nine-year-old. No, this is after. after. So oh, the nine-year-old was at a different hotel. So the nine-year-old was actually when he first moved to California. He moved to San Francisco for a couple months. Um. He murdered her there, and they actually didn't link her murder until 2009 to him. Okay. So they thought... They, 25 years later. Yeah, so, I mean, who knows that there was other people he had murdered. That's just the first murder that we know he did by yeah. DNA. Okay. And, um, also, listener warning, the next few minutes are gonna be really graphic and not for the faint of heart. So, if you're uneasy, feel free to skip forward or, you know, just skip my part completely. We give this warning after you talk about decapitation, rape murder of a child <laughs> shooting people in the face You're yeah like, but so now it's gonna get violent <laughs> i think it does get worse though to oh be god so richard's second murder took place on june 28 1984 in glassell park 
He had broken into the apartment of 79-year-old Jenny Vincow and had brutally murdered her. She had been stabbed to death in her sleep, raped, and her throat had been so deeply cut that she was almost decapitated. Mm-hmm. Then, on March 17, 1985, Richard crept up on 22-year-old Maria Hernandez as she sat in her car still parked in the driveway. Uh. He pulled out his 22 caliber handgun and shot at her in the face, without mm-hmm. a second thought. Thinking he had killed her, Richard walked away and into her home to see if anyone else was inside. Maria had actually miraculously survived the shooting because the bullet somehow ricocheted off the keys she was holding as she instinctively put them over her, her face when Richard tried to shoot at her. Oh my god. Isn't that fucking amazing? That's very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, though, Maria's roommate, Dale Akazaki, had heard the gunshot and was hiding behind the kitchen counter as Richard entered the home. As soon as she peeked her head up from the counter, Richard shot and killed her. Just so fucking sad. After fleeing the home, Richard was on the lookout for a getaway car. Within the hour, Richard managed to pull 30-year-old Veronica Yu out of her car, shot and killed her, and stole her car. On July 5th, 1985, Richard broke into a home in Sierra Monterey, California, and bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her bedroom. After unsuccessfully ransacking the kitchen for a knife to finish the job, he attempted to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. Apparently, in doing so, he began to see electrical sparks come out. He fled the home, believing that Jesus Christ had intervened and saved her. So she actually survived as well. Oh, she didn't die? That was the bludgeon girl? Yeah. He didn't bludgeon her to death. Poor girl. So traumatizing. I can't recall what episodes I mentioned it, but I know I've told you guys about an interesting story my mom had heard from my grandma. Well, my grandparents moved to Diamond Bar, California in L.A. County in 1978, on August 8, 1985, Richard just so happened to be in the same neighborhood looking for his next victim as my grandparents' house. He settled in a house at 21303 Pine Hill Lane. According to Google Maps, my grandparents' house is just half a mile or t- a 10-minute walk away. He broke into that home around 2.30 a.m. and found 27-year-old Sakina Abawath and her husband, 31-year-old Elias Abawath, asleep in their bed. He instantly killed Elias with a shot to the head and handcuffed Sakina. He beat her while forcing her to reveal where her family kept their jewelry, and then he raped her. He repeatedly demanded that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. Oh. And that was a common thing for Richard to say. He, if he didn't want anyone to make sound, he would make them promise, or he'd make them swear to Satan. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. He mean, he's a When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom, he tied the child up and then continued to attack Sakina. Oh. For whatever reason, he decided not to kill them and instead just leaves them the husband got killed though yeah unfortunately okay so according to my grandma she was home alone that very night according uh, to our mom who heard it from my yeah grandma. <laughs> i wasn't able to i didn't really have time to call and confirm but i know for sure at least if everything else is wrong i know for sure she lived 10 minutes walking away the night it happened um so on that night she was home alone while my grandpa was out of town on a business trip and she remembered hearing unusual sounds outside outside, and a lot of dogs barking, like, more than normal. Like, it's a pretty s- quiet neighborhood. You've been there. Like, it's kind of nice houses. And yeah. It, I mean, Very suburby. Yeah, very suburby. And for, like, so many dogs be freaking out that late at night, like, I think a lot of neighborhoods, it would kind of wake people up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of eerie. The layout of this area is actually pretty unique, being that each house is situated on top of a hill and each backyard is gated to create a boundary between the hill and the homes. So kind of like, there's like a ravine that runs behind the entire neighborhood's homes. And at the bottom of this ravine, there's a lot of like shrubbery, there's bushes, kind of like, 
if you looked down from any of the houses, the backyards, it would just kind of be like a sloping hill down into yeah. that sort of ravine. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. You just have a gate blocking you so you don't fall. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, roll onto the ravine. For <laughs> you. So to this day, my grandma believes that Richard had traveled on the backside of everyone's houses, creeping along the bushes at the bottom of the hill before choosing a house to climb up the hill and break into. Ugh. I mean, when I actually think about, because we've been to my grandparents' house, when I actually think about the way that the backyard looks, that seems like the easiest way. Like, he was in that same exact neighborhood, the easiest way for him to get through, and just, I mean, he just picked a house at random, I guess it could have been anyone. Did he have a way of choosing, or will you get to that later? No, he did not. Um, from what I've seen, he had no way of choosing. As you'll see, like, he he had a victim range of, like, nine years old to 79. Yeah. Maybe even older. So, there was really no preference. Weird. So, in the end, Richard was caught all thanks to a 13-year-old boy. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, on August 24, 1985, 13-year-old James Romero III heard footsteps outside the home. And I guess at the time, all of L.A. County was kind of on high alert to watch out for the Night Stalker. Um, right away, he woke his parents up, and Richard immediately fled the scene. His father raced outside and noted the color, make, and style of the car, as well as a partial license plate number, and contacted yeah. the police. Um, at the time, though, the father only believed it was a thief. He had no idea that he was Of course he wouldn't helping. assume it's a serial rapist yeah. murderer. <laughs> yeah, he had no idea that he was helping the police catch the Night Stalker. So the stolen car was discovered four days later, and a single fingerprint was able to identify the, 24, the 25-year-old drifter from Texas, Richard Ramirez, as the Night Stalker. Oh my gosh. Police released his mugshot from the year prior when he was arrested for auto theft. At the police press conference, it was announced, quote, we know who you are now, and soon everybody will. There will be no place for you to hide. Oh, shit. I know, I thought that was kind of a boss thing to say. I pulled the next part directly from Wikipedia, because it's kind of quick and to the point. Obviously, I was getting a little <laughs> lazy at this point. <laughs> so on August 30th, 1985, Richard took a bus to Tucson, Arizona to visit his brother, unaware that he'd become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and television news program across California. Very oblivious. After failing to meet his brother, he returned to L.A. County early the morning of August 31st. He walked past police officers who were staking out the bus terminal and into a convenience store in East L.A. So he literally was able to walk right past him. Police officers who were looking specifically for him. Hiding in plain sight. Yeah. He didn't even know it. I know. So after noticing a group of elderly Mexican women fearfully identifying him as El Matador, the killer, in Spanish, right? Matador. Um, Ramirez saw his face on the front pages of a newspaper rack and fled the store in panic. After running across the Santa Ana freeway, he attempted to carjack a woman who was chased, who was, but was then chased away by bystanders who pursued him. After hopping over several fences and attempting two more carjackings, he was eventually subdued by a group of residents, one of whom had struck him over the head with a metal bar in the pursuit. Oh, fuck. Which I think is so fucking badass. Like, they all just, like, mobbed together and took him down. Also, where did he get a metal bar? The resident? Yeah, he just happened to be walking around with his metal bar. <laughs> I mean, it was probably, like, in his neighborhood, and maybe he had some sort of, like, yeah. crowbar in his garage. Yeah. I don't know. The group held Ramirez down and relentlessly beat him until the police oh, arrived and took God. him into custody custody so at this point they everybody was familiar everybody yeah, was terrified of the night soccer like they wanted to take some of their frustration and their terror like their fear that they had for the past few months out Dude, on him thank god it wasn't just somebody who looked like him and it was actually him. i mean he was running on the freeway he was very suspect big true so like a lot of young serial killers 
Uh, Richard gained a lot of female admirers who would occupy the back of the courtroom during his trial. Is so which weird. is disgusting. I hate that shit, but it happens way too often. It's so weird. Um, even after sentencing, for years he continued to receive fan mail, and this was like he was some sort of celebrity to these girls. It's hard for me to even like imagine, but uh, he even went on to marry one of these groupies while in prison. <laughs> which can we just talk about how weird it is that so serial weird. killers like people thought he was attractive. I mean, he was a younger guy, but the way he looked, like his first day in court, he held up like a pentagram, like a sa- a Satanism pentagram on his hand to show everybody. What the fuck? And they, I watched a few of the interviews with the girls, and they're like, "No, you just don't know him." Like, they're trying to defend like him. They know him. And I was like, bitch, you don't need Yeah. <laughs> like, I, t- I talked to him. Like, they were able to talk to him somehow, which I don't really understand. Maybe they were uh, Satanists, too. Yeah. Well, they were... Uh, I watched an interview like that. I watched an interview from, like, the same year, like, 1985-1986, and the, like, the police officers there being like, yeah, it was a lot of goth girls. Like, I feel like go- being goth was, like, a new thing at the time, so he, the way he said it was kind of funny. But, oh, God. Yeah, it's just... For some reason, that happens too much with a lot of big serial killers where they get fans, like they're celebrities, and I just don't think people would feel the same way if somebody they know had been killed by that serial killer. Like, it's gross. For sure. It's gross. Maybe they just, like, want to be able to change someone and make them better. Maybe. I don't know. That's not how it works. No. Yeah, it's it's weird, too. There was an uh, interview with one of the little groupies, and she's like, yeah, I just came down the courtroom because I wanted to see if he looked like how he did in the pictures in person. She's like, he looks even better. I'm like, ew. So you realize weird. this dude, like, killed 13 people. I bet he looks average, too. I don't even know what yeah, he looks like. He looks like he looks... Ooh. I'll show you guys a video once we finish the podcast where he's just being creepy as shit. Um, so, anyways, on September 20th, 1989, he was convicted of all charges. 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglar- burglaries. Originally, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber, but that was never fulfilled. We had a gas chamber? 1980s, bro. That is not that long ago. I know. A gas chamber. Um, Holy shit. In response to the death sentence, he stated, quote, big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. What the what? fuck? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Okay. And then at the age of 53, while still on death row in California, Richard Ramirez died of blood cancer. Boring. Yeah, what the fuck? So I watched a documentary before, maybe like two years ago, and it's about how death row inmates, like, they get treated so much better and they have such a better life than people in the normal, the normal like, area of prison that some people will kill other inmates just to be sent to death row because they know for, it's very likely that they'll never actually be sentenced to death. Like, Richard Miros was a crazy serial killer and serial rapist and he never died. Like, it it's rare, like, you'll see it pop up in the news, like, oh, fi- finally somebody was sentenced to and how die in death row. Every time that somebody who like actually years. gets executed, it's somebody who they're like, we're actually not totally sure that they did this. Yeah, well, <laughs> Richard, at least, um, he confessed to it and all, but it just, it, it sucks to think that he was treated in a better way in prison when he should have been, like, he should have been with the normal inmates getting his ass whooped every day. He was awful. He probably got his ass beat by some of the other death people. Yeah, let's <laughs> hope so. But, yeah, so that was my story on the Night Stalker. Um, I feel like I brought him up a couple times. Like, I brought him up when I talked about the Hotel Cecil. The, the three ho- times you mentioned Hotel Cecil. Yeah, I, I brought him up a few times. And um, since I live in Southern California now, I feel like I want to do something, like, kind of local. So, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. So, I'm going to be talking about Israel Keys. I had actually not heard of this guy before, but I listened to an episode of Crime Junkies about him, like, last year. So I think maybe he's a lesser-known serial killer. Maybe I just didn't know about him. But yeah, so hopefully this will be, like, new information for some of you. Did he have a nickname? Not that I read. Then I want to say, I feel like the really known serial killers, they always have nicknames. So I want to say just because of that fact, he probably is well-known. I didn't hear of him until I heard the Crime Junkies either. Okay. So what lead is in? <laughs> um, Israel was brought up in a large religious family. When he was really young, his family moved to Colville, Washington, or that area, where they lived without heat or electricity. I read one thing that said they all like, lived in the same room. And he had like nine siblings. She was yeah. crazy. So the family naturally joined a white supremacist church while there. And they became fam- they became friends with the family of didn't look up at this guy's name, Chevy Kehoe. Keho is, I'm also just guessing, it's K-E-H-O-E, or Keho. He's known for being a white supremacist and later was sent to prison for murdering a family of three. So it's like kind of weird that a serial killer and a murderer lived right next to each other. It's kind of like yours, how in the family there's like literally two serial killers. Like they got some influence from those other killers. Potentially, or it's just a really strange coincidence. It's a fucked up world. Yeah. As a child, he loved hunting and would torture animals. In an interview that I didn't watch, I just read about it. Um, after caught, he said, "I've known since I was 14 that there were things that I thought were normal and that they're and that were okay that nobody else seemed to think were normal and okay." I saw on Wikipedia that in his teenage years, Keys became interested in Satanism, but I wasn't able to read the source because it's one of those dumbass things where you're like, "Pay monthly," oh, and I was I like, uh, "No, I'm just I'll just let you guys know I'm not totally sure about that." Mm-hmm. According to Keyes, later on, he first began his violent attacks around 1996-1998-ish in Oregon when he raped a young girl after separating her from her friends. He said he was planning on killing her, but decided not to. Oh my god, can you imagine being that girl and looking back and realizing that it was him who became a serial killer? Terrifying. So, I also realized I didn't say what year he was born, but I'm assuming he was like 16 or 18 then, mm-hmm. because he- 16 or 18 when he- or maybe 18 and 20. Fuck, I should have looked up what year he was born. Sorry, guys. He was young. <laughs> yeah, he was but a young boy. Yeah. So, he served in the U.S. Army from 1998 to 2001 when he was honorably discharged. According to old Army friends, he was normally pretty quiet and kept to himself, but on the weekend, he was known to drink entire bottles of wild turkey to himself. His only criminal offense up to this point was a DUI. Only criminal offense that people knew about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, he then had a daughter with his girlfriend at the time in 2001, and he eventually moved to Anchorage, Alaska, with a different girlfriend and his daughter. By 2007, he had started Keys Construction, where he worked as a construction contractor. Oh, this is weird because nobody fucking knew. Mm-hmm. So normal. That's terrifying. Very normal. So, Keys admired bed... I wrote bed tunny. <laughs> <laughs> Keys. Ted Bundy. Good God. He's admired Ted Bundy, and they were similar in some ways, but overall he was kind of unusual for serial killers in that he didn't have a victim profile. Like yours kind of didn't either. Mm-hmm. He would plan his murders ahead of time, like sometimes even years ahead of time, and he would never kill in the same area twice. His MO was to go to an area and bury what some people refer to as a kill kit 
which would contain items like shovels, money, weapons, and plastic bags. To pay for these trips, he didn't use money from his business, but he would use money from his um, bank robberies. Because he was also a bank robber. Whoa. Of course he was a fucking bank robber. He was. Weird as shit. Wow. So it's unknown at the moment how many bank robberies he may have committed or when he began to start killing people. When he went on his kill trips, he would fly to an area using the stolen money and rent a car where he would sometimes drive hundreds or even thousands of miles to reach the area he wanted to kill in. He would also only use cash and take the battery out of his cell phone. He was, like, super fucking careful. There was no way he could be traced back to these areas. Um, I have a question. So, mm-hmm. you're talking about all these murders he did. Was that after 2001? Yes. Okay, gotcha. So, after he had already, like, kind of been, got his life set up. Then or, actually, killing? we don't know for sure. We it, don't know when he started killing. Right. But, um, but the it's main one in that it's after 2001. Yes. Okay, the main gotcha. one I'm going to be talking about is after 2001. Gotcha. But, um, we don't know for sure. So... He would look for victims in secluded areas like parks and walking trails. And if he were targeting a house, he told investigators he would look for a house with an attached garage, no cars in the driveway, and no dogs or children. As soon as the killings were done, he would dispose of the bodies and immediately leave the town he was in. Israel Keys was totally unheard of until 2012 when he was arrested for the murder of 18-year-old Samantha Koenig. And when interrogating him for this killing, the investigators realized he had done this before. Ugh. So, on February 1st, 2012, Samantha Koenig was working alone at a coffee kiosk in Anchorage, Alaska. Already sounds like a bad setup, right? It was nearing closing time, around 8, and she was cleaning up when Keys walked up to the window. Wait, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Is this the one that, years ago, it's unsolved murder where you can see the surveillance of it happening? You can't see the surveillance of it happening. But they didn't release the surveillance until after he was caught. Because, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to what was on the surveillance. Um, so yeah, everything that I'm describing, you can see in a video, but it's, like, very blurry. He's, like, dressed in all black. I read a couple things saying he was wearing a ski mask, a couple I didn't see, but I'm assuming, like, they lived in Alaska, so even if he's wearing a ski mask, she would automatically assume, like, oh my god, he's gonna kill me. Mm -hmm. So, he ordered an Americano, I believe. It was, (laughs) it was, like, explicitly an Americano. Mm -hmm. And after she had prepared it and went to hand it to him, he pointed a gun at her and told her that he was robbing the place. At this point in the video, you could see her back up and put her hands up. She put her hands up and complied to his demands, giving him money, and then she turned off the lights per his request. He then told her to go to the window with her hands behind her back, where he zip-tied them and told her to lay on the ground. He then climbed in through the window. I saw that in the video. Which is super creepy. It looks really creepy. And he asked for her car keys, but she told him that she didn't drive and her boyfriend would be there soon to pick her up. I read a couple sources that say um, he actually thought about waiting so he could abduct the boyfriend too, but ultimately decided against it. Really? So it wasn't even down to take both? Interesting. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't even like he told she told him about her boyfriend and he was like kind of scared. He was like, oh, should I kidnap him and murder him too? Yeah, bro. Yeah. Ballsy. And uh, also, like, backstory on him choosing, like, her as a victim, there was no reason. He just chose it because her coffee kiosk happened to be open late. He didn't know who he was going to be kidnapping. He just figured usually it's, like, young teenage girls who work at them, and they're usually working alone. So did he show up to the coffee place expecting this to happen? Yeah, he had a gun with him, so. Okay. Maybe he wouldn't have if there were, like, several people working, but he Uh, definitely was considering it. So, Keyes forced her to leave the stand with him, and while in the parking lot, Samantha noticed him get distracted and attempted to make a run for it, but he was able to regain control Mm. over her by pointing the gun at her and saying he'd kill her. 
They actually passed right by an IHOP and Dairy Queen on the way to his car, but unfortunately nobody noticed anything out of the ordinary, Aww. and obviously she was too afraid to yell or anything. Yeah, she might get shot by him. Yeah. There's, there's a couple parts of this that I only read on one source. Um, I'll tell you guys beforehand, but I did read that he was like telling her to lean against him and pretend that she was drunk, so it looked like he was helping her. And then whenever they got to the car, according to, a, like, again, one source, supposedly there was, like, people just, like, loitering around their car, like, really nearby. And he could just tell know. that she was, like, struggling to be, like, decide, like, oh, should I tell them or shouldn't I tell them? But she ultimately didn't say anything. Aww. What would you do in that situation? I feel like they're going to kill you anyway. But also, he your told her is to survive. He told her that he was kidnapping her for ransom. Oh, so she didn't think it was for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he drove her around town, and that's well, when I told her. But even um, if he shoots you, there's I, people around. I this is similar actually. I read another part again, only a couple sources. Like while they were driving, at one point, by coincidence, they happened to be right next to a police car at a red light, and he could again, like he saw her like playing with the idea, like fuck, should I do it or not? And he um, like according to this source, at least said that he thought to himself, "I have a gun. I don't care if she says anything. He would just shoot the cops too." Jeez. He didn't give a fuck. I the cops have a gun. I would too. rather get shot though than uh, yeah, then die at his home later. Or then have anything else happen to me. Yeah, but I guess you always hold on to the hope, like, oh, maybe I'll get away. Because yeah. you do hear about people who are kidnapped yeah. and they're able to convince the kidnappers to well, let them go. Just after like years. Mm-hmm. Just like yeah, what, literally after years. What I said with Richard, he didn't. There was several victims that he would just let go. Mm-hmm. Like, he yeah. did, I mean, he did horrible things to them, but he didn't murder them in the end, you know? Yeah, so she was probably just hoping, like, there's some way I could get out of this. Yeah. So, um, at some point while they were driving around town, he realized her phone was back at the coffee stand, so he actually had to go back and get it, and she just waited in the car, probably Why? fucking terrified. Because, once he got the phone, he sent a text to Samantha's boss and her boyfriend, and her boyfriend had, like, been trying to reach her, obviously, because he went to pick her up and she wasn't there. Mm-hmm. He sent something basically saying, like, she was having a really shitty day and she was going to go out of town for a little, which, of course, the boyfriend is like, what the fuck? This is weird. Mm. Uh, Side note, if I ever text anyone, I'm just going to, I'm just having a bad day. I'm just going to go out of town Mm. for a bit. Well, first of all, everyone could track my phone. (laughs) See see where I am. (laughs) But, uh, no. Yeah, you definitely. I wouldn't go out of town alone. That means the child's kidnapped. So the kiosk had security cameras, like I mentioned before, and you could watch the footage online, beginning when he's, like, walking up to it, and then when he walks off. I'm not totally sure if I was just, like, kind of seeing things because I wanted to see this, but in the background, you could kind of see, like, what looks like little figures, like, maybe whenever they were kind of fighting, whenever he put the gun against her. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure because it's, like, tiny, tiny little dots, yeah. and I could have just been imagining and this the, in the cars. the video quality is super bad. Yeah, it's from 2012. It's not great footage. It should be better, though. It's 2012. Yeah. Come on. In the video, the footage is 11 minutes long. Yeah, I watched it all, and I hated it. And it made me think of what you were saying before, like, how long that must have felt in scared time. Oh. And it's really sad, because at the beginning of the video, whenever you see him, because you see him walking up from, like, really far away, and she's just cleaning up, and, like, has no idea that she's about to fucking die. It's awful. That's so sad. So, he then drove them to his house, where he lived with his daughter and girlfriend, and forced her into a shed, where he then turned on, like, loud music to drown out any noise that she can make, and told her that he had a police scanner, so he'd know if anyone called the police because of her. She literally had, like, no options. She had nothing to do. He, like, chained her up, I believe, while they were there, like, tied Aww. her up or something. 
So he then asked her for her ATM card, and she told him she shared it with her boyfriend, and it was in her truck at home. And she also told him the PIN number. While locked in the shed, Keys went to Samantha's place to get her ATM card, and was actually confronted by her boyfriend. Because he was, like, already suspicious, and he saw this guy, like, fucking with her truck. And he was, like, yelling at her, and went inside to go get help, I'm guessing from um, her dad. But whenever he went to go get help, uh, Keys was able to drive away. Oh my god, I can't imagine how fucking guilty that guy must feel. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, if he went and tried to, like, do anything, he probably would have gotten killed, too. To think about that, maybe you could have done something. Yeah, for, for sure. That's so sad. Hopefully he just realizes there was nothing he could have done and he would have just got murdered as well. Right. So, he then went to an ATM and tried out the pen he was given to make sure she wasn't lying, and it worked. Later that night, when he returned, he went to the shed where he sexually assaulted and strangled Samantha. Aww. Just hours after killing her, he left for a pre-planned cruise with his daughter and other family for two weeks. He left her there? Yes. Did he have neighbors? Uh, I'm assuming so, but he also left his girlfriend because she wasn't going on the cruise. So his girlfriend was in the house while Samantha's dead body was in a shed for two weeks. She had no idea. She had no idea. So must have locks that she couldn't get into. I don't think he'd risk that, would he? Or he's like a, he does like construction and contracting stuff. She probably just wasn't even interested. That is so fucking disturbing, especially how... His girlfriend probably never got that side of him at all. Yeah. He, like, says later on um, in, like, interviews, like, there's two sides of him and, like, nobody knows who he is. And I I think I read something saying, like, after killing people, he'd, like, go and hang out with friends and go to bars and drink with them and stuff. And literally just after murdering people. The fuck? It's fucked up. So, this next part is extra disturbing, at least to me. So, be that, warned. That like, the, like the other part wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that was so disturbing to me. Yeah. The way you described it. It's fucked up. So, once he got back from his two-week vacation, he was like, okay, time for this ransom. So, he took Samantha- this, this is really fucked up. You know what I'm saying. He took Samantha's dead body, put makeup on it, and used fishing line to sew her eyes so they looked like they were open. And then he took a newspaper that wasn't even from that day, weirdly. It was a few days old. And, like, held it in front of her dead body and took a picture on a Polaroid. And I'm assuming because of the cold weather and, like, it was Alaska in the winter, her body, like, wasn't really decomposing at a normal rate. Because I I saw small versions of this picture, not on purpose, but you look her up and you see it. I saw it, too. And she looks alive. She does look alive. So, when you find out she's it. been dead for two weeks, that's like the, the most bone-chilling thing ever. It's like, really fun. Once up. you know how that picture actually, like, what, what's behind it. It's nasty. Oh, it's so scary to think about. But yeah, so he took a picture with a Polaroid, and then he went and made photocopies of the Polaroid and used a typewriter to write the ransom note. And once he had it ready, he placed it at a park and texted her boyfriend from her phone about it, who then went and told the police and they were like all searching the park he said like it was under albert because it was like under a picture of a dog that was missing named albert or something in the next few days keith dismembered samantha's body and drove out to a lake where he cut a hole in the ice and put her body inside oh. uh one of the things i was reading was like an interview with an fbi agent and they because i think whenever they would fish like over these ice holes they'd kind of set up like a little tent and stuff because like it's cold mm-hmm. you're like on top of ice and they were asking, like, oh, did you catch any fish that day? And he's like, yeah, I caught a couple. And they are like, what did you do with them? He's like, I just went home and cooked them for dinner. After throwing this girl's dismembered body in the lake. Ew, he's so... He has split personalities. That's so scary. 
is really disturbing. He is so fucking scary that he is able to conceal that side of him so well. That's like it's terrifying. God, I feel I feel like that's so much scarier than like Richard because Richard at least you can tell right away like his intentions, but this guy is like a whole different kind of monster. Yeah, he had like an eleven year old at that point, like mm-hmm. a long term girlfriend and shit. So, while this was happening, Samantha's family was able to raise money for her ransom, and her dad deposited some of the money into her bank account. This way, investigators could basically track any withdrawals made at ATMs and hopefully get some information on the kidnapper, what they thought was just the kidnapper. So, they were following withdrawals in Anchorage, then to Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, and through these, were able to determine that he was driving a white Ford Focus, because at one one of the ATMs, he messed up, and, like, his rental car was in the background. Mm -hmm. So he was still even in rental cars. Like, he was still playing that whole game. Wow. And uh, the ATM pictures, you can see he's, like, wearing a bandana over him. He's wearing sunglasses and a hood and all this stuff, so you can't tell who he so is. So it definitely is him. It's funny, because that's kind of how everyone dresses because of COVID now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While Keyes was still in Texas, a highway patrol officer pulled over the car when he saw that it matched the description of this. Well, they didn't know if he was a kidnapper or if he just, like, stole her cards or what. So they were able to perform a search on his car and found Samantha's cell phone and her ATM card in his wallet. He was arrested and on credit card fraud charges. Struggled with that. And he was extradited back to Alaska. Yeah, bro, they fucking got him. So, based on all the evidence against him, Keith confessed the abduction, sexual assault, and murder of Samantha. He told them where they could find her body, and it was found just a few days later. Mm. He was eventually interviewed for over 40 hours, like, in total, not at once. And admitted to several murders, but said that the number was less than 12. Two confirmed people he confessed to killing were Bill and Lorraine Courier of Vermont, a married couple. An older married couple, too. So there was no reason for him choosing them. He just happened to have one of his kill kits, like, a couple miles away and thought their house seemed like it'd be easy to get into because they had, like, an attached garage and stuff. Also, attached garages scare me so bad. They've always scared me. Because you can't see what's on the other side of the car. They freak me out. Yeah. But then you said the car in the driveway. Like, oh, there's no there's no good option. Do you mean, just like... stay home. Do you mean attached garage ones that have doors on the side, specifically? Or just ones that... Normal garages? Probably either one. Like, normal garages are attached garages. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of garages scare me. I think that theirs might have had a door on the side, though. Mm-hmm. Because it's he... something easy. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. He used a crowbar to break into their attached garage and was able to get into the house and secure the couple really quickly with zip ties and, like, get their... I guess they had a gun. He was able to get that, too. He then took them in their own car to an abandoned farmhouse that he, like, scoped out earlier to make Uh, sure there was no... He did, like... So premeditated. He did a lot of stuff to make sure. And his kill kit that was nearby them had... I don't know if I said... It had been there for two years. Oh, my God. So he was just waiting to kill someone. Waiting for the opportunity. Yeah. When they got there, Keyes shot Bill to death, I believe in the basement, and then sexually assaulted Lorraine upstairs before strangling her. Their bodies have still never been found. I don't know exactly what happened there. I I read on one source, I can't remember if this was one of the more legitimate or one of the more theory sources, but said, like, the house ended up getting um, demolished, Mm -hmm. and he left them in the basement, and then, like, all the demolished parts were taken to, like, a landfill. And they, like, looked for it but couldn't find it. Yeah. So either that or he did something else with them and hid them. Yeah, and when I mentioned earlier that he would drive super far for his victims, for um, this couple, he drove over a thousand miles to get to Vermont. Wow. Wasn't he, like, known for being, like, the best at hiding his victims' bodies? Like, he has so many people that... Well, yeah, because we... Well, I'm about to say right now, Mm -hmm. we don't even know who a lot of his victims are. 
and like we don't know if it's people who are still missing actually one person is still missing that we mentioned soon or like maybe he may look like an accident there's who knows nobody fucking knows nobody knows how many people he killed that's scary he was like way too good at it yeah he was very calculated so according to keys he murdered four people on three separate occasions in washington one couple sometime between 2001 and 2005 and two individuals in 2005 and 2006. he didn't give out the names of his victims even though it's likely he knew them as it were it's reported that he liked to follow their disappearances online when he got back home to alaska he also killed someone somewhere on the east coast in 2009 and drove out of that state to new york to bury them but didn't give any more details on the case the police believe this victim was 49-year-old Deborah Feldman from New Jersey, but aren't able to test any DNA since they still don't have her body either. Wow. Literally, like, I don't even think he said that she was from New Jersey or anything. I think he just said, oh, the East Coast, and I drove to New York. It makes you wonder that maybe he never did the ransom, like, the whole thing with the girl in the beginning, the younger girl. Mm-hmm. Like, would she have ever been found? He made a lot of mistakes on that. He did in his hometown, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Was that his last kill? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. He got sloppy. I mean, last known. He also said he killed someone in New York, but gave no other information about when this occurred or any details about the person. When making his confessions, he would tell them, like, he would demand, like, oh, I'll tell you guys all the details you want to know, but you have to guarantee me that I'm going to be executed quickly, and I need a date of when I'm going to be executed. Yeah, and they were right, like, dude. I know, they are like, dude, we can't tell you, because in order to execute you quickly, we need this information. Yeah. Like, yeah, you gotta give us something. Uh, I think he just didn't want his mom and da- daughter to be suffering because of his actions. And I'm like, well, maybe we shouldn't have killed a bunch of people then. <laughs> yeah, control yourself. And then you would not thought of that beforehand. Yeah. Right? So, on December 1st, 2012, Keyes killed himself by cutting his wrists and strangling himself with a rolled-up sheet. Pussy. <laughs> Instead of a normal suicide note, they found what is described as a creepy ode to murder that did not include any details about his other victims. What do you mean by that? Just, like, a letter being like, oh, how I love murder, and just talking about, just like, I don't know, just like, uh, how much he likes it, basically. Ugh, he's disturbing. He is. So, in 2020, the FBI released an image of drawings Keyes had made a few months before his death with his own blood of 11 skulls in a pentagram, and they believe this points to him having killed 11 people. However, in an interview I was reading with an FBI agent, the one I mentioned before, same interview, they were discussing how Keyes had visited other countries, including Canada, and when investigators asked if he'd killed anyone there, Keyes responded, Canadians don't count. So the real number could be even higher than what this. What the fuck is that yeah. supposed to mean? Fuck. And he's been in other countries, too, so he could have just been killing people all over the world. You said he was in the military, too, right? Mm-hmm. He was. So maybe he potentially even killed people overseas. It's very possible. But the FBI does believe his murders probably began as early as 2001 when he left the army. Mm-hmm. And that's where this case stands for now. Most of his victims are still unidentified and they're still actually an open investigation trying to find out who they are and where they're buried. Ugh, I hate how he killed himself so we're never going to get any more answers It's very frustrating. Him. There's, I believe that there's like um, a list that was released of like all the places he traveled to. So um, they were... From what I remember, I didn't write this down, they were encouraging people to be like, okay, look at this list and see if it coincides with, like, missing cases or mm-hmm. stuff found, and we can see, like, if it matches oh, as well. Like, any, like, cold cases or anything like that at the same time with people missing? Exactly. I think that's how they found... Or unsolved uh, murders, even. Yeah, I think that's how they found Deborah 
that I mentioned before mm-hmm. from New Jersey. Wow. Damn, bro. It's fucked up. He's really scary. He's so much... He's... Him and Richard are like two different kind of serial killers. Yeah. Really. And I'm sure Brandy's is going to be a third type right now. Hey. Yep. <laughs> Keep it interesting. Alright, so Harvey Miguel Robinson is an American serial killer currently on death row in Pennsylvania. I heard is, and I was like, he's still alive? Holy moly. He is one of the youngest serial killers in American history, only 18 years old mm. when he was apprehended for his crimes. Oh my god, not even when he started, when he was arrested? Yeah. Wait, <gasps> that's younger than Richard Whoa. Ramirez. Whoa. He is also the first serial killer in the history of the of his hometown, Allentown, Pennsylvania. It sounds like a small town, hopefully they don't have a history of it. <laughs> So Harvey was born on December 6, 1974, to an alcoholic father who physically and emotionally abused his mother and eventually just, like, left. Oh. His dad, Harvey Rodriguez Robinson, was actually later incarcerated for beating his mistress with. (gasps) Oh my gosh. All of our murderers know the murderers. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a sign. I don't know. (laughs) witnessing something like or or hearing I don't know you just know somebody who did that yeah so just five months before his 18th birthday in August of 1992 he raped and murdered his first victim Joan Berghart who was just a 20 year 20 29 year old nurse his aide he was a 17 year old and he killed a (gasps) he broke into a home of a 29 year old Joan um he just like intended to like well because he was he was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> growing up he like got arrested a lot or was in trouble because he would like break in and just, steal shit yeah um and that was like his intention but i guess he like just escalated. saw the opportunity yeah he saw the opportunity and just killed her oh my god in between his first murder and his second murder he actually got arrested for Burglary. Burglary? Wait, didn't this happen last time? Yeah, it did. Burglary. <laughs> Burglary. <laughs> and he actually spent eight months in jail. Oh, shit. Which is probably why he didn't have more kills, to be honest. Dude, for real. Because they happened, like, pretty closely. Oh, my God. So his second victim was Charlotte Schmorier, who was a 15-year-old high school student and a noise noise a newspaper carrier for the morning call Mm -hmm. um so he like pretty much she was delivering papers in the morning and he like saw her and abducted her and took her into a wooded area and raped and killed her yeah do they go to the same school no, I don't think so. Okay. Because I was just thinking about how he was like a teenager. He probably dropped out or something, honestly. I mean, I just try not to keep it graphic. Yeah. But he like slashed her throat. <gasps> okay. <laughs> try not, trying to keep it not graphic before getting extremely <laughs> graphic. You want to know what I did when I, yeah, I talked, I said um, Richard Ramirez cut someone's throat. I'm so hey, sorry, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying I changed in the article I read, they, they used the word slash, and to me, slash is just such a graphic word that I changed it to cut, because it, it, for some reason, it, like, feels easier to take in than slash. Like, slash just seems so aggressive. You know, whenever just walking, whenever walking to a parking lot behind here, we have to, like, turn a corner, and whenever I'm, like, walking, I realize I always put my neck like this in case someone tries to, like, slash my throat while I'm walking. You're <laughs> like, I hit my double chin. <laughs> Choke some. <laughs> So a few days after he 
murdered Charlotte. He broke into a home of another woman with the intention of raping and killing her. However, when he saw her sleeping with her boyfriend, he decided to kill her daughter instead. <gasps> Wait, what? Oh my god, I thought you were going to say he left. Yeah. Or killed them both. Nope. He raped and strangled the child. How, How old was she? Five years old. Ew. That's very upsetting. That's like, I didn't think it could get much worse than the nine year old talked about. People are so gross. Very. She managed to survive the... What the fuck? Yeah. Poor girl. Oh, I probably said he killed her. Strangled. No, he just says Oh my god. Oh my I god. you to believe. For that seconds. is so traumatic. Poor little baby. Um, but yeah, before he broke in, he was into stalking too. He was like stalking the mo- her mom. He's I was like, gonna ask if he'd like, like scoped it out beforehand. Yeah, he would. He was a peeper. He was. I forgot to mention that before he attacked the five-year-old, he had actually broke into this woman Denise Sam Kelly's house, and um. He burglarized it, and he stole her husband's gun collection, and drank all her whiskey. And this is why we don't have gun collections, just sitting around. (laughs) Not in a... That is important, because after he attacked the five-year-old, he broke into her house again. (sighs) Um, because he knew that, well, he, he would stalk them, and he knew that her husband was away. So, you know, you know what he wanted to do. He was watching... Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess he entered through a window, and, you know... The story ends the same way? No. No? No, it doesn't. It's a good, it's a, like a happy ending, but, like, it's just, you know... Does he rave her Well, tell us, yes. bro. Oh. Well, she, tri- she just, like, fought for her life. Like, she was biting him and kicking him, and they actually ended up outside on the front yard. Whoa. And, but he still was able to rape her and stuff <gasps> and like beat the shit out of her. Whoa. But she was like obviously screaming so they're alerting the neighbors. So he like fled. Oh my gosh. Um they found a butcher's knife wrapped in a napkin lying outside the bathroom door. So he was gonna kill her. Oh, oh my god. That is a horrible, horrible way to kill someone. My god. Also weird that he stole all their guns but came back with a knife. He could have just used right? them. Yeah, well, Maybe he doesn't like guns. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, I mean, depending on the serial killer, they might have a preference on how they like to kill people. Exactly. Which is fucking disgusting. Knives aren't an easy, fast kill. No. Gross. So a month later, he raped and murdered a woman named Jessica Jean Fortney. Um, She was beaten and stabbed to this. Ugh. She was just the. Oh shit, did I. Where did. I didn't write it. You write down her age. I swore I did. Oh, it's right here. She was a 47-year-old grandmother. Aww. It's fucked up. Yeah. All of ours kind of do any age, too, huh? Yep. Seems yeah. like it. But yours would stalk ahead of time. Would you stalk people ahead of time? No, Richard would just... Randomly do it. Kill randomly, like you just pick it at random. Okay. Yeah, same. So, just four days later, guess what he did? Another person. Killed himself. No. <laughs> he returned to Denise's house to finish the job. No way. Wait, you're fucking kidding me. I'm the not person. kidding. Oh my god. I would not be at my house. I hope she wasn't at her house. But she must have been if people know about it. She was. He attempted to break into her house to kill her, but failed as the back door was equipped with an alarm system. Yeah. Hell yeah. Good. <laughs> and I guess because, obviously, like, police were, like, working with her, and they obviously, like, 
saw that this guy was not gonna give up. So uh, I guess a young police officer named Brian Lewis decided to stay at her house in case he like came again, which he did. <laughs> Wait, he came a fourth time, or are you talking about that time? That time. No, another time. What? A fourth? Yeah. What the? Ew, he's so He gets really fixated Bro, on people. Yes. So one night, now armed with the gun, he returned uh-huh. to the house. And I guess uh, the officer obviously heard his attempts to opening, like, to try to break in. Yeah. You're the jingle jingle. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they, they set bells all around. No, I'm <laughs> saying, like, like the, the jingle that I know. Bernie's thinking, like, little Christmas bells <laughs> going off. Shit, that's a good idea, too, to be honest. Well, basically, like, he heard, and so he was like, hey, he, he like, said, like, I'm a police officer, and he just started shooting at the cop. I was gonna say, he was probably like, I don't care, I'm a murderer. (laughs) Basically, a shootout erupted between Harvey and the police officer. Oh my god. And he managed to flee, but was wounded, so he went to the hospital where they arrested him. Yeah, bitch. So he was actually arrested on his 19th birthday. Ew. Happy birthday, bitch. 19, (laughs) I forgot how fucking young he was. So Harvey Robinson was convicted of murder and sentenced to death for his crimes. As of April 2006, his execution has been stayed, which pretty much means, like... Um, on hold. Yeah, on hold, like, because they keep delaying it, they keep appealing it, pretty much. Yeah. Um, he was later resentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of Joan Burghart, which was his first victim. Because he was 17 when the crime was committed. Mm-hmm. So, like, they pretty much... It's funny because they like he kept appealing, but they would like give him a worse sentence. Yeah. Before. <laughs> um, like, stop asking. Stop asking, or we're gonna kill you. <laughs> and I just thought this was so funny. So in October 2019, a Pennsylvania judge urged him to consider donating his brain to science, calling it the one gift you can give. Oh, <laughs> I die. That's brutal. They're like, we want to study the brains of serial killers to know what the fuck went wrong. Basically. Damn, you know that's what they'd be using it for, right? They want to see, like, if there's any, anything that looks like, like, in that part's where you kill. (laughs) Um, they actually made a film about, like, his crime sprees. Really? Yeah, it's titled, uh, No One Could Protect Her, and it came out in 1996. Oh. All of us got movies about them. Right? And I like watching the movies. That we talk I, about like our stories. I, I wish I had more time. I would have. I would have. I would have watched it beforehand. Yeah. But yeah, that's the story of I this. I never heard of yours. Me either. Brandy, you're always coming through with these ones we've never heard of. Me and Lear, like, like most that. popular guy I've ever heard of. Yeah, I, like I think learning about somebody that's not been told too often that was pretty interesting. I know, I almost did Ted Bundy, and I was like, everyone knows Ted Bundy. <laughs> I'm so I glad. almost did Tim Bundy just because we have the same birthday. Actually, oh, do, not do you know? Birthday. I know. <laughs> do you know most like serial killers are born in like July or like December, November? Really? Why? No, There's I don't know why. Reason. <laughs> yeah, but why? like, if you look at the list of serial killers, most of them are born like. That's weird. Sorry. Right. Like just... he was born in December. The Night Soccer was born in February. I need to look mine up. Yeah, but it was on the day that only existed. Leo was born in May, and she's a killer. That's an anomaly. I'm not. I'm not a serial killer. I'm not. I didn't do it. I'm not. Israel Keys. He was born in January. Awkward. Of 1978, by the way. So whenever he died, he was actually only 34. And he'd killed 
at likely more than eight. It's wild. Bruh. It's fucking wild. But yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Our Instagram is Tales Beyond Podcast. Our email, talesbeyondpodcast at gmail.com. And also, like, we'd be super down if you guys sent us some of your ghost stories or if you have any true crime stuff related. You know, like, we'll totally talk about that. We already have one that we've been meaning to talk about. It's that, pending. So it's pending. We haven't found, like, a theme it would fit in, but maybe we'll just do a mini episode for that, honestly. Yeah. And our website is talesbeyondpodcast.com. Our Twitter is spooky underscore beyond. And yeah, yeah, stay spooky, guys. We'll see you next time. Yep. Bye. 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 <laughs> testing, testing. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. Oh, one, two, three. Oh, Brandy. <laughs>